0: Before we jump into this conversation, just a quick word of thanks to the good folks over at the Quilty Nook. Without your ongoing support, projects like this just wouldn't be possible. You're listening to Seamside, where we explore the inner work of textiles. I'm your host, Zach Foster, and in each episode we explore what working with cloth has taught us about being human. I hope you enjoy So this is the point of the show where I share a review. I'm having to dig into the archives for this one, folks. Ain't nobody left me a review recently, but we can change that. Listen to this one from Jess Janae, who says, This is exactly the type of textile podcast I want. There's incredible richness. I love hearing about all the meaning and humanness in Zach's textile work and that of his guest. Thank you, Jess Janae. I really appreciate that. And if you're loving this podcast... Would you please take a moment to write me a sweet review? It is the best way for other folks to find this show. In this conversation, I sit down with Mar Grace Ambrose, mother of two, partner of one, quilter extraordinaire. Mar is living in a little town outside Austin, Texas, looking out over a bunch of land just purchased by one Elon Musk. Maybe you heard of him. Mar and I talk about the balance intentions of being an artist and a parent. That's where we loop in Ann Truitt, one of my favorite artists, and a book that she's written. We talk about commissions, the light side and the dark side, and how to manage them. And as always, we talk about how working with textiles has changed us as humans. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with my friend, Mara Grace Ambrose. Mara, thank you so much for joining me this morning.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Zach.
0: Now, we talked a while back on SoftBulk. In fact, we had. The first conversation was so good, we had a second one. We did. And so I knew even then that I wanted to follow up with you Mm -hmm. one-on-one. So thank you very much for carving out a little time to talk today. To give us a a bit of a picture, could you tell us where you are right now?
1: Yes. I'm sitting in my studio, which used to be a two-car garage that we never used as a garage. It was always workspace, but it used to be my husband's, and now... It's fine. (laughs) And there's renovation that we did to make it like clean for textiles, which was just build out the walls that were unfinished and um, put in a large glass window for light. And we took the attic that was above us out and um, we put shiplap on the ceiling, which was the boards from the attic. So we repurposed them as surface I'm sitting here looking out over my woods and to be super frank and honest, our view of, we're on a hilltop and on 10 acres and we used to look out over cow fields and hay fields and we're on the, just across the street from the lower Colorado river. So we have a lot of birds that come through and we Probably shouldn't spend time talking about this, but I want to note that our life has changed because Elon Musk bought all of the cape ha- all of the hay fields and all the cattle fields uh, across the street from us and next door to us, and it's his industrial space for the boring Company, which is a tunnel digging company and SpaceX warehouse just assembling the Starlink internets that go in houses.
0: I imagine that <laughs> has changed some form of how you see home and maybe even your creative practice, which we'll get into here in a little bit if you would like. But your studio is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's to be admired, right? Because you paint it all white. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like you have really good space to, to create and to work. What did you bring to work on today?
1: Well, I'm starting with something easy because that's how I roll. I'm hemming a pair of linen pants that We're fragile at the seam and I'm mending that seam. And then I'm going to move on to something a little more artistic, which is just patchworking some applique for funsies on denim uh, Levi's, like vintage Levi's jeans that I just love doing that stuff.
0: Pair your jeans?
1: Yeah, pair my jeans.
0: I'm sitting here working on probably what's going to become tiny quilt number 74. Little scraps from like my New Year's banner. I made a banner for 2023 and these are some scraps from that. And when I knew that we'd be sitting chatting this morning, I just grabbed some stuff off the studio floor. I said, let me make a tiny quilt with Mara. So here we are.
1: Oh, you're so good at that improv. I love that. I love seeing your work come to life like that.
0: You know, you see the good stuff. Other stuff (laughs) just goes straight to the textile recycling bin
1: yeah reworked I appreciate that part of your work though it's um there it's like uh, like you're okay like letting go and also like letting things come together. It's a special thing. you're not too precious over things until they become precious on their own. I guess I mean, I've been reading a lot of like mindfulness practices and and I feel like as an artist and applying that and seeing artists around me. I feel like you have a lot of those principles that that freedom of not feeling too hopeful and being content is kind of how it feels
0: yeah because I don't I think that one thing I like to keep in mind is that like everything is sacred and nothing is sacred right there yeah. becomes a moment where a project gets infused with that special thing yeah and then all of a sudden wow hold on a second step back that really is special Yeah, but sometimes that moment of illumination doesn't happen. That's okay. It just remains fabric and that's all right too. You know, then you cut it up and you put it in something else.
1: Yeah, I can relate to that. I have always kind of had that loose hand on things. I remember my, one of my first fine art projects in college was making a weaving. And then during the presentation, when everyone had their like two minutes to like show what they're working on, my demonstration was lighting it on fire and saying goodbye to it. (laughs) And I was like, no, I wasn't even joking. I was like that's how it felt is like it was okay to be impermanent. It was a lot of work and also the work was the value not the finished piece. So I was like, oh, a little edgy even back then.
0: <laughs> Have you ever burned one of your quilts?
1: <laughs> no, is the answer. But like letting them go into my home and with my children, I'll do that thing that people do which is like keep them on the shelf and keep them nice and and then when I pull them out and use them for like, play or warmth. I let them eat snacks around, you know, I'm not like, on edge about it. I have to say like, this is it. We are living here and using this and like, I might spot clean it later. But like, I'm not gonna like, be uptight around them. So that same sentiment of like, also selling work I make. I like letting things go. I like letting things go.
0: Yeah. And we have to I I remember, Okay, so I just told this story yesterday, so listeners who listen to everything I do will will know. (laughs) But this image to me is just so impactful recently, and that is there's a story of a guy who decided he's going to paint his living room one morning. And so he goes to the hardware store and buys all these gallons of bright red paint, and he's so excited. He's coming back home. He's walking through the front door. He's got the paint in his arms. He's got rollers in his arms, drop cloths, everything. And because he has so much in his arms, when he goes through the door, he hits the elbow on the doorframe and drops everything, red paint, all over the place. And the idea is that we sometimes we have to let things go to, to cross through, right? Yeah. We just can't keep accruing over the course of our lives.
1: Yes. So wait, does he paint his like hallway then red? I just goes with it? <laughs> <I don't... laughs>
0: yeah. This, as it's spoken as a good improver. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And just, just this weekend, we had some family come visit, some cousins. And we were talking about how um, Mamaw was a quilter, our grandmother, mm. partner's grandmother, technically. And Mamaw made a quilt for all her grandkids. And it came up in the last visit over Christmas, Papaw, Mamaw's husband, was like, y'all better not be sleeping with your quilts that Mamaw made you. You'll wear them out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I said all due respect, I think Mamaw would want us sleeping on our quilts. Quilts are consumable objects and that they were designed to comfort and to love. It reminds mm-hmm. me of Anne Truitt and I know we're going to go here in a minute so I won't mm-hmm. give you know mm-hmm. I won't give too much away here but Anne Truitt's a sculptor who I think just has a real knack for putting things into words and she worked in wood and one time somebody asked her, "Well, why are you working wood? Why not metal or plexiglass or steel or something that'll last longer?" And she says, I really like the idea that the things I create have a lifespan. Mm-hmm. They come into existence. They pass away. And when we think about quilts, if you're using a quilt, the lifespan is almost exactly the same as a human lifespan, right? Depending on how, how you're treating it, right? But they don't last long and they're not meant to last forever. Right. And so I am full advocate of saying make your most beautiful work. And then wrap yourself up in it as much as possible and just wear it back out and make yourself something else beautiful.
1: Yes, yes. It is a tendency, though. You know, I, I have one tattered quilt that is such a piece of work that I'm like considering framing and putting it behind glass. <laughs> but I'm like, it feels like because it's not at the beginning of its life, is why it feels like a piece of work. It feels like Let's just stop up and appreciate that life that it's lived is like the piece, the reason why I feel like it's frame worthy and art to enjoy is the memories it holds, I guess, at the end of its life. Yeah. I don't feel the same way about a new quilt. I almost feel confused. Why, why would we frame that?
0: Well, it's both and, isn't it? I mean, it's possible mm-hmm. for all things to be true at the same time. And sometimes you do want to frame that beautiful quilt, whether it be old or new.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, I did hear myself say that, and I'm like, you talked about framing your work this year. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yeah. I have.
0: yeah. Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Now, a moment ago, you used the term artist to describe yourself. We are selves of multiple selves, right? But is artist a term that you feel best captures your role here on this planet, what you're doing? Another way to think about that question might be, which one do you find yourself using the most?
1: To describe myself, for sure, artist, because I'm, like, as an ad- this, like, adult conversations of, like, what do you do? I mean, I really am full-time mother and caretaker as far as what I do here. Like, what is my current calling me? The current state of mind is mother and caretaker, homemaker, artist artist is who I am like behind that caretaking is such a sacrificial like experience that is like the unconditional loving is it's giving so much that artist is when I come back to myself and I return to my body and do what's nourishing me for myself it's gives me life yes it's my life force it's I remember in the beginning of mothering, my first year into motherhood, I felt this is really hard to do all of this. I'm going to like put down the artist for a while and just focus on mothering. And that didn't go well for me. So that's when I found out, which was a beautiful practice because I found out the reason I do it in questioning and being curious about it all isn't for external validation or receiving anything it's actually more about connecting with myself wholly and fully of play and discovery and and curiosity and delight and yes those those that part of being an artist I guess the term is is what I use you know it's curious though too because it's like artist craftsman there's somewhere designer, you know. There's those terms I all relate to. Do you use artist solely, or is there craftsman and designer, or what? How do you navigate those other titles?
0: Well, I've been comfortable with the term artist well, since about like 2015. You know, there's mm-hmm. I had a moment when, so it's it's right at the outbreak of the Syrian civil war, actually, and how mm-hmm. so many people are leaving Syria. Right, we saw. Miles long lines of mothers, fathers, grandmothers, children, just pouring, walking on their own two feet out of their homeland. And those visuals to me were just so incredibly moving that I didn't know what to do. It was like just so overwhelming that my natural response was to go to the Chester drawers where I keep all my fabric and just pull out some fabric. I pulled out all white and just started sewing. And I had this vague intention in mind, this question of like, how how are we meant to do this? Like, how are humans supposed to live together on this planet? Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about how do we do that as I was sewing, And by the end of it, I had something that felt like a bit of an answer. Mm-hmm. And part of that revelation was, oh, Zach, you just took something that was deeply moving to you, some unresolvable question,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: instead of, writing about it, instead of talking to a friend about it, instead of uh, all the things, we, ignoring it, you took it to fabric, you took it to material. And that was for me a moment where I became much more comfortable calling myself an artist because I'm like, I'm a person who has questions and finds the answers in the materials they work with. And so that's my work definition of artist. Yeah. And it's become especially, you know, easier to say now that I've, I quit teaching about a year ago. And so now I'm full-time artist. I love throwing full-time in there. That just feels like, I don't know, an extra badge or something, you know? Um, Not that it's any better or less than, but I just felt like I worked hard to get here, you know? So it feels nice Mm -hmm. to be able to throw that out.
1: Mm -hmm. I I had to switch my hat from full-time artist to working artist (laughs) once I became a mom. I mean, I could have stayed full-time, but that would require childcare And I chose to be the primary caregiver, and that that choice is worked for me. you know, I did have to take off my full- time my full-time artist hat unless I wanted to work through the night and not sleep, but yeah
0: and life is constantly shifting, isn't it? And so that's what I think is so interesting about these conversations that we have here on the seam side is that when I'm talking to folks like you, I'm I'm not so interested in like, Mara, tell me everything you've ever done before this moment. I'm more interested in how are you seeing your life, your creative process now? How are you seeing your path moving forward? Things like that. So thank you for jumping in that conversation with me. I'm wondering if this might be a good time to bring in Ann Truitt one more time. So I knew coming into this conversation that I wanted to talk with you. I kind of wish Ann was right here with us, but uh, Ann Truitt wrote a journal called Daybook. And it is, if it's one gift that I've given over and over and over, I can't tell you how many copies of Daybook I've bought because it's so good. Anne oh, Truitt okay. is not only a sculptor, she's also a mother, and she has a, a real gift for putting the creative practice into words. And so I think she's a, a good person to bring into this conversation. The first place I would like to start with you is, it occurs to me that my children are transformations of secret, silent resources similar to those out of which my sculptures emerged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what stands out to me there, she's comparing the source, the origin of her work with the source and origin of her children. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's not a parent, I don't know how that lands. How does that hit you when you hear Andrew would say that?
1: They're the creative forces, and especially the young, pure honesty of these new beings are watching creativity unfold in front of your eyes often. And just like, yeah, I guess sculpting, you do put love and time into it. And you, it emerges almost symbiotically with the materials and your time and the one step in front of the other, that pace, that human pace. That's, I think, a lot of textiles, sculpting, working with things, making things by hand. It's that heartbeat that we're not going any faster than the human pace. And I think that, yeah, that that's it feels like very tied into watching children grow, where it's not until you step back and reflect that you see all the mileage and the thread of growing. Yeah. I would have to investigate that some more. I feel like hearing it again, maybe.
0: Yeah, let me read it to you again and then phrase the question another way. So Anne says, It occurs to me that my children are transformations of secret silent resources, similar to those out of which my sculptures emerged. And so I believe she's saying Mm -hmm. that her children and her work emerge from the same resource, the same core. I guess what I'm curious about as someone who's not a parent How is making a quilt similar to raising a child?
1: Well, uh, it is and it isn't. (laughs) Because I find the biggest lesson in raising children is what little control I have. They need structure and they need a rhythm to the day and nourishment and time. Those things connect. The time and structure and all that but I find making art I have maybe it's that solace of space that is the illusion of control but I think that's what's the dance is the maker and the art there isn't a lot of control but you are wielding something into life with your brain your thought children are their own beings they come out like that I believe that we think we have control over them or whatever, but if you did, then they turn into adults and you realize you never did. They're their own people. And that's one thing art, I guess, doesn't, it does, it can surprise us, right? But often when I make a quilt, it's bombed my soul because it's the only little place in my life I have a little bit of control to make those decisions and put them down and have them place hold and not have them come apart where I think most of my life is practicing releasing any control and any idea that I had control. And yeah, it's interesting. I I'm just in the thick of like two years old and eight years old though. So I'm like, everything is chaotic in a way where quilts feel tidy. (laughs) And even when they're not like, even when they're super, super uh, abstract and improvisational if you go meet to the end of the project they tie up they finish they're completed they're then a functional form if you're using them for warmth they're an art piece if you're using them for that there's a purpose that they end with or i don't know i guess these children are so curious to me I like hearing the quote again if like that resource that she's talking about is that life force that is given and like that reciprocal like energy that children do give that that love, that art, that stepping back and working with our art, you know, we have to walk away in times which are hard and we come back to it with such joy if it's that passion-driven art or that concept-driven art. You know, we re-respond. There's a resource that you were saying you chose to stitch when you had questions about life and living it comes back to that human pace, I guess. And those, those resources are similar, right? Are working with our hands and, and children and those connections, that resource that brings us the life force that helps us understand the world and our, our being in it. Yeah, a teacher, I guess. They're both teaching us something. It's a deep question and it could be looked at in a few different ways. My children feel this, the resource is love and groundingness. That's a resource that both the art and the children bring is this grounding love it came to me, we all were sick as a family a few months ago, many times, we've all been sick as a family. And I remember being so nauseous. It was a stomach flu, blah, blah. And usually, the thing you would expect is like, go rest, go be alone, you know, sleep, and take time. Like usually moms, that's usually what you would say, like, husbands to moms, whatever, how they give you a favor, they give you a chance to have some alone time, right? I remember being so sick and so uneasy with my state of being that when I was sitting alone in my room, I felt more nauseous and I felt more out of sorts and more discombobulated. And so I chose to sit, wrap myself in a blanket and sit in the middle of the living room with the kids, you know, having good times and bad. They, you know, take toys and share toys. And even that chaos was so much more grounding than being alone because there's this sense of presence that they bring and that groundingness is so comforting to be around at least many years into motherhood I've found that maybe not as a new mom I think but like now I feel so it is so part of me it's so grounding that when we are together as a whole family we all feel it and it's so cute to see it on the two-year-old's face because they just keep pointing mama papa sissy mama papa sissy and you're like you appreciate the wholeness and um for us it's just a deeper silent feeling of we're connected we're unified we're grounded like that that's i guess that art can bring that same feeling as an expression outside of our bodies and then we see that that resource that it brings to us that grounded feeling give me more
0: (laughs) i got plenty i just given you a moment to to keep pontificating Since Andrew is already in the conversation, she often talks about feeling like one of a litter. And that's an image that's really stuck with me because I am someone who really does enjoy the company of others, but I don't want to be in the spotlight. I don't want to be asked to perform, let's say, but I just what I enjoy most is just being An inconsequential member of a litter, I think is exactly how Anne says it. And it sounds like there's some of that energy in what you were just saying about spending time as a family.
1: Yeah. It's like the safest place I feel like being. And then, you know, it's just the life itself and the waves of emotions. It's just like, okay, now I need some alone time. (laughs) But it's always returning That that where I want to return is yes, together, being together. It feels really good.
0: And you've already alluded to this, but there is a tension between being a parent and being an artist. And I have another passage for us. This is my last Andrew at passage that I wonder what you think about, because she is talking here about the artist and the mother specifically. I'll save my question for afterwards, and I'm happy to read this again if you want to hear it more than once. It is becoming apparent to me that the mother and the artist do not speak much to each other. And when they do... The speech is initiated by the artist who wishes to be off about her business. Here it occurs to me that the artist is giving the mother short shrift in a way that strikes me as rude. She is hurting the mother's feelings as surely as children occasionally do. The artist could not have come into herself without the mother's experience. She owes her a debt of honor for all the layers and layers of hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly knowledge of what life is. The fact that the mother is bothersome takes up the artist's time with her demands, in no way reduces this fundamental reliance on her wisdom. The artist also is more dependent on the mother than she likes to acknowledge, set as she is on her own independence. For just as the mother turns to the artist for comfort, so does the artist turn to the mother for nurture when her work gets her down, and the mother never turns her off curtly. Rather, she rushes in with nourishing soup, hot baths, and a tender hushing into night. What stands out to me here is that constant tension between the artist and the artist's agenda and the mother and the mother's desires and how one finds the balance.
1: It's a long road. And the balance, right, we all know. And whether being parents or not, the balance of life is fluid. So we find it and we lose it over and over. I think it's not being swayed by the The hooks of emotion is my practice, which, yeah, our practice is, yeah, okay, so there's so much in that. There's so much in that. I almost, like, read it one more time.
0: (laughs) No problem. My pleasure. It is becoming apparent to me that the mother and the artist do not speak much to each other. And when they do, the speech is initiated by the artist who wishes to be off about her business. How does that hit you?
1: Yeah, so that was that first thing that hit me when I became a mother eight years ago. And that first year, it was this, do my job and then take me time when the baby was sleeping, go off about my business. And I did that really well. (laughs) And it was just one child. And it was a one baby that took good naps until it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) and so two years later I realized I don't have those nap times in the afternoon and I can't go off about my business it was a re a scrambling to find out what's the next frontier to go off about my business we all need alone time and me time and how we each spend it that fulfills us whether it's gardening or cooking or walking or you know we all have it artists decide usually to spend it making or exploring or writing or sculpting and sewing. And that going off about my business bit, it's an interesting play of balance for sure. And interesting seasonally, now becoming a mom of two, how it's gained and lost over and over. There's this bit of tug of war with it and new seasons of life. And whether it's a young kid or an older kid that needs your attention—it is the calling. Ultimately, for the baby to wake and me sewing, I'm not gonna—I can't ignore the baby. I have to go to the baby and rock it to sleep. But I find that moment of rocking, of that deep calling and that fulfillment, is what I come back to in my practice. It, it does inform who I am and how I feel connected and grounded in my life and the work that I do. It's interesting to give up the full-time artist and find myself in a mothering state of an artist because it almost like bursts the illusion that the work I made felt like some legacy or some important thing. Is like no doesn't hold the weight. It doesn't hold the weight for me anymore. It's it's an extension of myself, and it ha- when it happens, and it's beautiful and fun, and it's expressive and joyful, and also some of the work I'm making lately, personally, is like fit and fury, and like true art being art, which is not usually tidy and pretty, and not usually happy and joyful. It can be like rage and frustration. I find that. The art is itself, but the calling of mothering when global pandemics hit or you have a traumatic experience such as a car accident or things that like really shake you like to the bone of like, what am I doing? What's the point of all this? What's the purpose here? I have to like say it. it's like looking at in the eyes of my loved ones. It doesn't have to be a parent-child relationship. It's just touching looking, connecting, and saying whoever you are and wherever we're at and whatever you do or don't do isn't as important as just connecting right here, right now with us together. So I feel like whether it's mothering and art balance, it's just human connection, our needs to feel that. Mothering's interesting because it forces you into it. You have, you have to connect and give more than you can give. That, that's like that athlete, feeling to me where it's like it feels so good afterwards it's the hard long stretches but maybe the release of like that balance and finding that higher highs lower lows that's what they say a lot (laughs) I have to read Ann Truitt's book now because it is very parallel to the textile work and sculpture of wood making things by hand and then those layers of motherhood in it woven throughout it yeah I mean and I'm living it. I need to go read your beautiful writings. And I I relate. I relate very much to it.
0: What about the bit she says in the same passage later on, and the mother never turns away the artist, right? She rushes in with a bowl of soup and tucks her into bed. Like, do you find yourself Mm. treating the artist part of you like the mother part of you treats your children? Does that make sense? Oh, God. Do you bring in similar wells of patience and understanding to your artist self that you give your kids?
1: Yes. I bring the same amount of patience to mothering as art and reverence for the moment and the human rhythm. But I i mean, truthfully, children, she said it in the passage, like they can insult you <laughs> so bad. <laughs> or I don't find my artwork insults me is like if it turns out like eh, not my favorite piece I can move on personally I know it's different for everyone but like I'm like well spent 300 hours on that and I don't love it okay like moving on it will live it's fine someone else might love it I don't care as much and it does kind of hurt oh that was a lot of time moving on for kids it's, it's, it's a lot more messier. There's so much interpersonal relationship going on that the insulting, that's my mantra. I was telling someone recently that my mantra with my eight-year-old is don't take this personally. Don't take this personally. She is a child. She doesn't mean it the way it feels. It might feel really hurtful and critical, so it insults and it stings. But like that, she's an immature person at eight years old, and I'm the adult that's reacting like a child where it hurts and it's insulting that's an interesting part of parenting i i find that it's it's a really it's curious why is it is why are we are so emotionally hooked in these spaces with them i find that might be why artwork feels even more delightful after like being amongst the children is it's a refuge like a dog or a pet. It's like not gonna insult you. It's okay. It's, it's like a, it's a resting place. And maybe that's where my work in as an artist like has changed in the response, call and response with parenting is I turn towards it for that different needs now. It's a need to like, it's a, like a little bit more of a safer, calmer emotional space because mothering is like being in the thick of it. Often, <laughs> not all the time.
0: Well, and I imagine too, I mean, something that I've never considered before chatting with you this morning is we often think of quilts as really time-intensive projects, right? You just mentioned one. You just rattled off 300 hours off the top of your head. Yeah. Quilts can take a long time to make. But relative to how long it takes to raise a child, making a quilt is so fun, like so easy, so, so quick, and then it's done, no matter how long it takes.
1: I know, I know. I know yes maybe that's what we love (laughs) we love about them is they're a stamp of time and that that's it all of us quilters here listening and knowing is you look at your work and you can remember what you were doing in life at that time it's I haven't counted how many quilts I've made but I work closely with my dear friend Monica who's a hand quilter and has been working with me 10 years and we are so special together. It's something that is, I guess, soulmates. And I, two quilts stick out to me, that her and I know what happened during this time. That quilt, when we look at it, means Monica lost her brother. That quilt was that time for her. This quilt was the time I had the car accident with the kids, like those things, I mean, those are the terrible things that point out, but then you can look at the other side of things and go, that's when you were pregnant and you had this glow and life was just peachy. And like that, you know, that's what is interesting about work and when we make it, is it references this sentimental time and space, whether good or bad, It, it gives us a record of that time it's not hard to look at those quilts and say that was a mourning quilt. You were mourning when you were quilting that. Being true doesn't make the quilt like bad or sad or it's just a truth and they hold these truths to them. I guess that's that's if we're, we're apparently going into that's what they are. They're honest and true like whether they want to be or not and as that's they're purely honest and I think that is art and the young children and art have that in common. There's no getting around the truth. It's just, they hold the truth. Whether you tell the story or not, it's there, part of it.
0: Right. Whether you make the story explicit in the design of the quilt, mm-hmm. or whether it's just inherent in the, the mind and the heart of the maker. Yeah.
1: Right. Yes.
0: Quilts and children as mirrors, is what I just wrote down in my notebook.
1: Yeah.
0: So Mara, this strikes me as maybe a good time to Think about big projects you're working on now, because we're talking about quilts are often labor-intensive projects, and I know you're working on a big one at the moment. Can you tell us a little bit about it?
1: Yes. I think my impulse right now would be, let me show you, you know, right? let me take this video around and give you a, a look-see. But I guess I can just explain it, since we're in audio format.
0: And we can also post pictures with the podcast as okay. well. So if you'll get me a picture, yeah. folks at home can see it.
1: Yes. I've been using this commission as like a real respite of doing the social media wheel goes round and round. I've been using it as just a space that it's a guaranteed paycheck, right? That's what we can deduce sometimes. Like, why take commissions? And I can back up and say, I didn't take commissions for many, many years. I would say like, I just said, I wouldn't say no to commissions. I would say not right now. I am working on the ideas that I have of my own. And when they're finished, I will make them available for sale if that's what they're destined to do. And it was fine. Like that process worked really well for me. And then having a second child and a pandemic changed things for me and everyone. But for me, my situation was, it was a spontaneous like opportunity that a returning customer of mine, came to me and said we would like to commission four quilts and i was like interested in that because you're a returning customer i already know you you bought the work that i made from my own idea that you resonated with so you're coming to me already with that we understand where i'm coming from and what you like and what i like and then the hook for me was when i was like a guaranteed yes to this commission was in the loose direction was mostly We want you to make whatever you're excited to make. One king size that's indigo and denim and three queen size that are colorful. Done. That's it. And then I was like, okay, let's go on. Look back at the quilts I've made and show me some of your favorites so we can get a direction of like, are you a bars person? Are you, you know, small, intricate piecework or big? And so that helped us just, I get, gave me a feel for what they liked out of the work I made. And then I was sketching up some new ideas, and also, to be totally transparent, showing them some old antique quilts that inspired me. That was so easy. (laughs) It was so easy. I loved the process. I like an easy commission. I like a lot of trust. I like a lot of freedom. I love just supportive people that aren't micromanaging artists. I find, whether it's someone helping me plant a tree in my yard, you're the professional. You tell me where it should go. You know the lay of the land. You do this. Whether it's someone helping me trim my hair, I'm like, you do this. You're the professional. I like giving professionals that, to me, best work is made that way. And I know for myself, when a person comes to me and has that disposition, it it brings more life into the work. You want to do a better job even. So I'm two quilts down, no, three quilts down, one to go. It's a long commission. It's taken me over a year. And Mostly my child from one years old to two years old got extremely sick very often because we tried to start childcare. And daycares are a mixed bag and children are all different. And my first child did not get sick when we started childcare at two years old. And my second child got extremely sick over and over and over and over again. So we got through that encyclopedia viruses and we're at a more robust space with his health and my time. And that balance is ever changing. But I feel like it was a long, hard commission because of that. And like the greatest thing for listeners who might be more interested in commissions and artists that my way of doing it that I would do again and I am committed to forever is I didn't take their money up front and I didn't give them a deadline. And I'm so sorry for anyone who cares for those things. But for me, that's what worked best. Because I didn't want the added pressure or the ownership of my time. I didn't work well in that space. So I knew that enough about myself to, of course, keep that freedom and flexibility. I stay communicative. If anything, it dawned on me. I haven't sent a newsletter in, what, I don't know, three years? My customer, my client, is my newsletter right now. So it's kind of fun. I have this very intimate personal newsletter going with the person who's receiving my commission. and. I appreciate that practice because I I really do like newsletters when they're offerings and givings of inspiration and ideas. And so that's been like on a micro level, like a fun practice to newsletter my one client. And they're, they're exceptionally encouraging because the minute I post it for them to purchase with a link, they're like on it five minutes later, purchase done. And it's like, wow, because I also always give them an out like, you know what it's finished it's what it is we talked about it but if it's not something or you've changed your mind like that's cool too I can put it for sale for the wider audience that might someone else and that like also is this freedom for them and yeah it's it all feels magical when someone buys artwork it's like wait what that's amazing you're supporting me and the life I'm living and so, yeah, I'm on the third colorful quilt. I did the one indigo and in denim first and it was a four point star, which I'm totally fascinated by. And after making, I guess, 20 4 point stars, I'm still like, they're tricky. <laughs> they don't get easier, but they do, I guess, both. And the colorful ones are totally fun. I find myself on the third one, I'm just about to start the third colorful quilt. I'm like, oh, I really want to just do one color. (laughs) And I'm like, oh yeah, I love that simplicity of one or two colors in a quilt. It just, it feels so right to me. And it's good to feel myself returning and going, the next quilt is always my favorite. I like chasing that inspiration, but I love this challenge. This commission is like keeping my butt in the seat and saying, you said it would be colorful so you got to push yourself to use more than these two colors you picked out and like that that excites me because it's the what I think a commission brings to the table for an artist is that push for growth and the reason I said yes also was the structure and the support like financial like security of of like I know when I spend my time in the studio it's a guaranteed paycheck quote unquote you know you say that stuff but it felt like I needed that in a time of coming out of postpartum a second time for a deep feeler and thinker like I needed some structure in the studio and something to work on that was outside of myself so it was beautiful that that all kind of came together yeah I'm I'm open to both do another commission after this or not I know the answer immediately is take a beat and i have some some housework to get done with my business and home um both like real stuff and i think i'm going to lead going forward after this commission cuz it's been a big thing for me like i've talked about it all my p- close relationships have heard the buzzword when i'm done with the commission you know and i'm like when i'm done with this commission the priority shift is it's going back to like the groundwork is prioritizing my home and my kids, my family, I should say, my husband is receiving nurturing love for me too, <laughs> but my family and my home prioritizing them and the rest will just fall into place. Cause that's where I'm at and being honest and true to where I'm at and not being like, yeah, I'm an artist and I'm doing this stuff and I'm like ready to keep going and make big stuff and, and grow and like, yes. Yes. I have to work too. Like that's the bottom line is I have an income to contribute to the life that we live. I have to, we've kept it manageable. So it's not like I have to do childcare full-time with like someone else's help. I I get to have part-time childcare so I can do a part-time job. So that's where I'm at. A lot more information than just the commission. But I think it like, when it's such a big commission it really gave me a lot of like insight on priorities and what to expect going forward for my needs and yeah I mean what about you Zach do you take commissions what's going on
0: so much of what you're saying is just like ding 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 like lighting up little lights in my brain because it's funny to me that we are both in the middle of a commission that is three queens and ah! one king Shut up! And I took it a year ago and I'm just like, oh, you know, when I first started seeing that I was going to leave teaching and go full-time artist, I was like, okay, the bulk of, I'm going to have to do commissions, right? So how do I do that in a way that feels rewarding, satisfying, that I can do with integrity? And that was the idea of making memory and burial quilts, which I still really love. I also love, because we're allowed to have more than one, working on Ideas as they come up, and having the freedom to be spontaneous and to jump on a project when you feel inspired. And so, I have currently stopped taking commissions. But funnily enough, and I this probably resonates a little bit, is that someone would reach out to me, and I have to say no, I'm not taking commissions right now. And I felt bad, like I owe it to everybody to always take their commission. You know, that's that's not a healthy dynamic. And so, (laughs) the workaround for me is, and this feels good, is I've set up a little mailing list. Where I'm just collecting their emails. And I'll say, when the window opens back up, I'll send out an email to everybody on this little list. And if you're still interested, then you'll know that I'm open. And so it feels good to have a way to leave it with them that leaves the door a little bit open. It feels good to me that if I ever win, I get to a point, because I'm sure it'll come back around, where I want to take a commission. Well, then I already have a bank of folks to to talk to.
1: You're good at housekeeping that way, like collecting emails. Yeah, you're good at that. I think it's your teacher in you. You're like organized in that way. The logistics. 100%. percent logistics.
0: Yeah. 100%. No, being a teacher made me realize, oh, I'm in charge of all these papers. <laughs> and then over time, because I taught for 18 years, I'm in charge of all these emails and all these Google Docs and all these things. Like I had to come up with systems. Good. Yeah. But it had gotten to a point where I had commissions lined up for like a year plus looking down the road. And that felt a little suffocating to the artist side of me, you know, because I "I can't keep doing this. And so now I'm on my, I currently have this current commission and then two more. And neither one of those folks have deadlines similar to you. I just say, this is where you are in the line. And then between commissions, I've just already told myself that I'm going to work on personal projects, right? So I do this quilt I've just come up with. I've just kind of honed in on like the overall pattern because all four are going to be the same process, right? They're all improv, but they're going to be the same assembly. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I'm calling the pattern the bill payer. <laughs> because
1: that's what it is.
0: So I'm going to make four bill payer quilts and then I'm, to, then I'm going to take some time for me.
1: I do find that I name things in my mind, like for the personal, like, yeah, the people who are involved in the work or whatever. Oh, there's so many. The Rebuilder, that was one. I should share it. I have an intimate story, which you would be interested in. I think your listeners would be interested in. When I was talking with the client about sharing inspiration that was antique quilts. And I shared with them one that, a lot, but one was a Jeeves Ben quilt that isn't one of their popular ones. It's like not in all their, at least the books of theirs I have on my shelf, it's not in there. It was like a deep dive on the internet somewhere, an archival So I was like, oh I liked it. I liked it because it caught my eye, but it wasn't, you know, caught by a lot of curators' eyes. The client was like, We really like it. And the challenge, I think this is why I got tripped up, is they wanted to genderize no, they didn't even put this forward. I put this in there. They had told me they had three kids, a colorful quilt for each of them, one boy, two girls. So I loosely interpreted that the boy quilt would have some deeper masculine colors. i actually was easy for me because I I think with four kids I was interested more in the masculine color quilts that never felt genderized at all. I didn't think of them that way. But then I'm like, oh here I go. I'm making something for a kid. And I was like, well I like this too because it brings me back to like some of my favorite combos and the depths and saturations of blues and oranges and whatever that I got locked into the inspiration itself and I began piecing their quilt as what turned out to be in the end a tribute to the G's Ben quilt that I was inspired by that either at the moment when it was completed I didn't even I couldn't even talk about it like I didn't even ask for feedback around my life until the day it was finished and I told my husband at breakfast that I finished it. He's not as involved in my, my business anymore. We keep it separate, but he's like, tell me more. Where were you, what were you inspired by? And I was like, that she's been quilt, you know? And he's like, let me see it. And I was like, okay. And he's like, okay. So he kind of just copied it. And I was like, fuck, you're right. I mean, I did. I was so inspired. He's like, so it's a tribute. It's a tribute to their work. Then you put it aside. You do what you need to do with that. Like, maybe it off for sale or give the proceeds to the quilter or the G's bin. Like, there you go. But you need to like start over. You are getting a paid commission for original work. There you go. Like done and done. I'm like, all of this is true. What am I going to do here? I looked at the work and I did not put it aside. I ripped it apart. <laughs> Just ripped it apart. I haven't done that in a while, but It was good. It was fun. And also not I remember crying. I remember feeling like deep depression for that afternoon about like, what am I doing? I don't know, like the whole gamut of emotions. Yeah, and not to get too personal, but we we, I spoke about a car accident. And that happened too that day. And it was like a day of a storm happened to be a full moon. I don't know, you know, you can put whatever you want together. But I was like an intense quilt. But The rebuilding process was so soft and so restorative and so slow, but fast. You know, when that happens where you're like, why is this working out? Like, how is this that I only put two hours in or an hour in and then I'm making like inch by inch, I'm making progress and it's like flowing and I was like rebuilding it and I created an original piece of work of my own. So that was, like, that hasn't happened to me in a while, ever. That was, like, the first time it was just so blatantly true that it was interesting. I mean, there was an idea of, like, show the client, but then I was, like, I can't take the money. You know, it was just a, yeah, it's an interesting thing. We get so inspired sometimes. Uh, we get carried away. And I did. I'm more proud of the work now. And that was the really exciting thing as an artist standing there with work is I was, like, god, that looks good, that tribute quilt, I personally nailed it-ish, the, of course, the G's bin had some extra flair that happened because of the kismet of the air and the, like, space and who they are and maybe not using irons, I don't know what they were doing, but they, of course, had some deeper feeling to the quilt, the little piece of image that I could see on my screen, and I was like, yeah, I didn't nail it to that level, but, like, it's a definite, like, copy and i was like oh i don't like it. it didn't feel right like i was standing in front of it and i was like this isn't mine this isn't like something i'm proud of this isn't feeling like joy like let me show you this like this was kind of like let me not show anyone this let me stop showing this and like rework this and now i i can be very like the ownership is there and whatever that ownership feeling is like it's deep and wide and I definitely feel like better about it. Yeah, that's a lot. I threw a lot out there. I mean, gender, copying. It's a lot, but like, it was all there. Yeah, and also I look back and I'm like, it was one of those quilt tops that I'm like, wow, you created a, a sense of ownership and original work of your own. But it's not your favorite. It's still not your favorite, which is kind of weird for me. I usually like to be like. No, everyone, every new one's my favorite. And it was like, why isn't it your favorite? But I go back to my friend Monica. She's helping me in this season of life with young children to be hand quilting with me. The connection we have, we spent a few hours together with this quilt top planning and prepping. And this is what happens when you are collaborating with someone who you deeply love and is brings a new life into the work that you create together is she's making it my, I love it now. Like the the stitches are like bringing the depth that it's like the same feeling when you take like a sketch or doodle on a like a napkin or a piece of copy paper and then you frame it and you're like, look at that. You're showing people that it is important. It is framed and it is a piece of work of art. And like, that's how I feel like quilting on this top feels is like, look at that there it goes now it's now it's elevated and deep in a space of like is beautifully now a favorite quote um but i didn't i felt like it was one of those two i couldn't get there on my own it just happened i needed monica
0: nobody's an island
1: no nobody's an island
0: so much of the creative process does feel like a conversation whether everybody who is participating in the conversation as an active participant or an indirect participant, in, in your case with the G's Bend quote, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And maybe this is also the pandemic to tie in another, one more thread to all this, is that mm-hmm. ideas really do feel viral often, right? Like things that we see that inspire us take root somehow in our mind, and we might not even be mm-hmm. aware of it. And with Grace, we... <laughs> Catch it before we get too far down that road, you know? But even if we don't, then you're able to turn around at some point. Yeah, I know I've made quilts before that I'm like, oh, I step back and I get a little bit into it. And I'm like, that reminds me of an Amanda Nadek quilt. Love Amanda, you know? And I didn't even realize that's what I was working towards. But some corner of my brain had that imprint. Yep. And that's not a bad thing. But then it's the artist's job to step back and say, okay, now what does Zach's take on this look like? And it can connect back to the original, but it should also offer something new on top of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the wow. offering of newness. Yeah. I like that. Naming yourself that way. Like, what is Zach going to make of this? I feel like that is, we could all do that. Use our names. Ask ourselves, what is coming from us? What are we going to make? What is Mara going to make out of this? Yeah. It was a good lesson to learn.
0: Speaking of Mara, how has working with textiles in general, how's working with quilts specifically, how has it changed you? Like if you had never picked up a needle, have you ever thought about this? If you'd never picked up a needle and started sewing and making quilts, how do you think your life would be different right now?
1: Oh my gosh. I have to just say I love my life. i love my life so much. So I love who I've become and like that was mostly character building from hard times i think that i also what came to mind when you're saying that is i got started by sewing in college i i began sewing with a bernina sewing machine without thread it was just to puncture um paper i was sewing line work with a needle and no thread on paper to create drawings and that you would hold up and see that imprint of poked holes. It was a surface design. It was what class, whatever. It was like an embroidery class that I was into, but apparently rebelling against by poking. I started using just needle by hand and then I started using the machine. It was a fun way to make friends with the machine. Sewing was really hard for me growing up, not to blame mom or a bad sewing machine but my mom's very frugal and because of that very financially stable she's so frugal that she's she's really good at budgeting her money and we didn't have a sewing machine in our house when I was in high school that worked it just turns out it didn't work we I didn't we can't you we could say that now but it was like always out of tension so every like you would get lucky maybe for like um, six inches and then it was like a mess of threads in the back or whatever i guess it was an old singer i think it was avocado green it just sat in the like bonus room that was the place i would try to alter clothes i would buy from goodwill and cut them up and create like new outfits because i was very interested in like fashion and expression and style and Whether I hit the mark or not, I just loved that. Like, it was exciting, of course. It was just art. And I never felt good about anything I sewed. And then I do remember making a skirt in home ec class that fit me correctly. And the sewing machine worked correctly. But she wouldn't let me throw a patch pocket on because it wasn't part of the project. And that sort of stifled my creativity. So it was, like, a little on hold. We went dormant until I went to art school in Savannah College of Art and Design at the fibers department is when, like, the whole, like, world of sewing came to me, and it was the professors that taught me how to quilt, how to hand sew, how to embroider, and all the other things we learned in the fibers department. It wasn't my aunts, or my grandmas, or my mom. It wasn't. Not to, like, it's no problem. Like, that's it. There's no problem with that. That's okay. Then later, after I found it, and, like, it became such a part of me, and such a way of using my voice is how I would say it's like using thread and making and creating was mending and sewing and constructing conversations. That is how I wanted to interact and speak about myself and the surrounding world. So, and then funny enough, the dances, I didn't start with quilting. I started with natural dyeing and my practical side that comes from my mother is like, what are you gonna do with this? What's the point, what's the use? And like, that's probably why it took me a little while to bloom is I didn't grow up in a house with parents that were artists. So they didn't think like artists. And there was always a like a question of what's this for? How is this practical? Art was sort of curious that way. It's undeniably art when you see it in a museum, but when student work is being made, there's a lot of curious conversations that maybe aren't helpful. So like the natural dyeing was the art. I feel like that was the part that was like, you can't, you don't even have to ask questions. It's just experimental. That's to get better colors is the more experimentations, the more trying and process, you know, that's art. And then the practical side was, what are you going to do with all this fabric once you dye it? And I think that it wove itself together as like my heritage, who I am and where I'm going is like, It happened that my grandmother and aunt sewed and my mom, she made her prom dresses, her wedding dresses, all of it. And I was just asking her as she was helping me like plant trees. I said, you, when we were born, you began loving plants and landscaping and gardening was your calling of joy and fulfillment. You didn't like sewing? And she's like, no, I just did it because we couldn't afford prom dresses and wedding dresses. I, like, did it for practical reasons. And she's like, yeah, I didn't do it for fun. Like, it didn't bring me joy the way it brings you joy. And that was interesting to think about. Oh, that is kind of going back to your question. is like, who would you be if you didn't have this? I don't know. It brings me so much joy that I wish I had more time to do it. (laughs) It's so much a part of my life now. I mean, it's been six, 17 18 years since I started sewing so I really appreciated the years that it was was hard honestly that to me like I feel really excited I love my life so much in sewing but it's great now because I think I put that 10,000 hours in I worked at it like a job and by building my confidence and skill set by making over and over and over again things that weren't great I mean that's the truth. Like I have so much samples and even finished quilts that I, I look back and I'm like it was fun because I kept challenging myself with the next one and the next one. Now I'm at a space. So I'm like, can we stop challenging? Can we just like have like <laughs> get back to the basics and just enjoy the pleasure of this? But yeah, it was hard. I remember like in the beginning being really frustrated and pulling a lot of things apart and a lot still still I have my seam ripper nearby and it's part of the process is that being okay with mistakes and being okay with reworking and being okay with letting one slide and like that of yourself I think that's where I feel like I've come to in my maturity of a sewer is that yeah that like more fluid confident space of like the mistakes are part of it and um your machine will act up and then you know you have to be a mechanic for a bit and yeah you know you you get it you get
0: we it we get it we get it Mar. we know what you're saying <laughs> Mar how you feeling about that piece you've been sewing on the applique on denim
1: I got carried away talking <laughs> yeah, <and> me too <laughs> I used my hands to talk instead of sew which is interesting I hadn't thought about that but that's what happened fully expressive person and I talk with my whole body I guess I sew with my whole body too and that's where it is it's sewing is a very contemplative time it's rhythmic in a way that I often don't sew on a video chat and to be honest when I talk to people on the phone I don't sew either and I used to bring sewing things on like car trips or vacations and I stopped doing that too like I I really it's a sacred space at least for now the mothering we'll go back we'll tie it all together here is my life is so vibrantly loud and chaotic and bright and colorful and all of the wonderful highs and lows that sewing is meditative and it's usually done when I'm not talking I will listen to podcasts I do love a very nurturing deep podcast but when I talk to people I really like connecting I really think this time is so special that you and I have set the time aside that my sewing is sort of an afterthought right now so my piece it's where it is it's a little bit of progress feels nice but it wasn't really the point of today's conversation
0: it was all a ruse it was all a ruse <laughs> yeah I didn't get much done either I got like look what is that seven little, eight you. little patches <laughs>
1: I love the hand patchwork, though. Like, it really shines through.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Mar, this has been such a treat getting to talk with you a little bit more one-on-one. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Zach. Thank you for setting this up.
0: And there you have it. Thank you for listening. I hope you got something out of that conversation. And I would say make sure you're subscribed so you get all these episodes as soon as they drop. And think about leaving me that review, huh? Take care, and y'all go sow something good.